Eternal Dirtles is a podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and supporters like you. Come to our Patreon at patreon.com slash eternaldirtles and support us. Thanks. Joe Brennan is the vintage champion. Eternal Dirtles with that black quarter power. Eh, don't get that mocks in dirty. Eh, bizarre bag that flirty. Eh. Oh, go, go in, loco in the format, go, low shopping, man, a gorgeous thirsty. Hey, Brennan cast as trophy. Hey, Brennan cast as trophy. Hey, Brennan cast as trophy. That's your basic, cause you'll cast as trophy. Vintage game got it all wrong. Vault key, crab bond, Hercules, bounce boy, it's gone, survival of the fittest, Venge Von. Oh, the Drew is Oakland lines are poorly in the current time. Shaman is the only thing to do. Fatty boy, Gorf bringing beat downs the truth. Lotus playing cardboard thanks to the oof. Is Nasset's restriction incoming soon? Making a pact with a demon, that dark petition. Master then spells dark ritual in. Tutor up the necro, fucking exile 13. Joe says resolve your surprise so you pass. He attacks that ass if you wanna block. Sit back and bluff outcome paradox. Leo's no Nasset but still has a say. Joe cannot be outplayed on the this day, so he claims trophy. Brennan cast as trophy. Hey, Brennan cast as trophy. Hey, Brennan cast as trophy. That's your basic pistol cast as trophy. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Gully and Phil Blackman. Nate, Phil, how's it going, guys? Can't possibly be better. Actually, I probably could. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could be as good as Nate could. <laughs> Great. Well, we've got we've got a pretty awesome podcast set up for tonight. We just had a, a really great interview uh, last week, and we've got another one coming up this week. Uh, the winner of the uh, vintage championships, Joe Brennan. Joe, how's it going, man? Hey, what's going on, man? It's going pretty good. Joe, um, congratulations are, are in order. First off. Thank you very much. Yeah. Now I have to ask because we had this we had this sort of personal history. Um, did anybody misdirection any of your ancestral recalls the entire tournament? Um, I didn't get any of mine misdirected. I misdirected a couple. Well done. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> did you Did you ever pitch your own ancestral to misdirect their ancestral? I have not done that. <laughs> yeah. I would do that if it was my only blue card, but I have not. That has not come up yet. There you go. That that that's worth the cast right there. That <laughs> advice. Yeah, you're tapped out. You can't cast the ancestral, so you yeah. just pitch it. And you get the ancestral anyway. Yeah, chances are your opponent's going to counter your ancestral once you get it. Once you untap and get the cast, it anyhow, right? Yep. So uh, yeah, so uh, let, let's let's quick uh, talk about your deck just a little bit here. You you ran a uh, a bug list. Uh, you called it a bug's life. Yep. Uh, it's it, uh, the interesting thing about this deck because uh, I I haven't seen a ton of uh, bug lists lately. Uh, is you're playing both Leovold and you're playing uh, uh, Narset as far as doing you know trying to stop your opponents from drawing extra cards, which is pretty rad. Yeah, well they serve different purposes, but they they do have a a similar thread, you know. Yeah, I I just like the uh, the. You know, aside from it just stopping your opponent, but you've also got the Vendillion click in here, which plays well into that as well. Um, yep. I'm a huge fan of Collector Ulf. Everybody knows that already. Yeah, it's very powerful. 
Um, I guess I guess where I'd like to start this off is so uh, last time I, I uh, saw you in person was at the uh, the Manadrain Open, um, and you were you know if if uh, everybody else's uh, confidence in you uh, was to be believed, you were favored to win that event uh, based on bingo bingo <laughs> boards. Um, what do you think changed between uh, that event where you you did uh, not not super well, um, yep. and and to this event where you you took it down? Uh, nothing really. I just had some bad variants at that event. I lost two good matchups my first two rounds, and you know, sometimes that happens. It's vintage. There's powerful cards. So, did you play this same deck at the Mana Drain? Uh, more or less. I think I was like seventy-three out of the same seventy-five. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting because the bug decks were so popular in the sort of I guess more broken vintage metagame of yore uh, with Mystic Forge and I guess Golgari Grave Troll, but four mental missteps and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. I was sort of surprised that people thought it was going to kind of fall off. I didn't really see a lot of bugs, saw a little, a bunch of rug decks, but um, what did, had you been playing bug during that time period and just kept it going until now? Was that your sort of mm-hmm. deck that you've been working on for more than just the past few months since those restrictions? Yeah, so uh, the the reason I developed the deck in the first place was to beat the Mystic Forge deck. Um, so I did that, and then I took down NYSE, which was a bunch of Mystic Forge decks with the bug deck of of uh, a few months ago. And then a lot of things happened that I thought were pretty big strikes against bug as an archetype being, you know, top dog. Um, a lot of the restrictions with Mental Misstep, Golgari Drave, Troll, Karn, and Mystic Forge. Well, your best your best matchups with that bug deck was number one was Forge Shops and number two was Dredge. So those decks getting weaker and then losing Mental Misstep, which I think hurt Bug more than it hurt other decks because Bug is essentially a deck that needs to be somewhat proactive and protect your creatures and turn your guys sideways. And if you don't have a, a maximum amount of free permission to do that with, it becomes much harder to execute that game plan. So I figured that all those factors combined was going to really knock Bug off the map. And I was back on to Blue-White-Red Arcanist, and um, similar to... The, uh, my teammate Dan Miller played my Arcanist list and got, I think, third or fourth at Waterbury. And the list was good, but... Uh, I didn't like how the Xerox decks nowadays aren't really very skill intensive. Um, <laughs> like it used to be, your experience would be a key leverage point in the blue mirrors, and you could really, you could really just outplay the other person. And now it's just not like that. You have so many just powerful one card. The game ends bombs that you know the first person that untaps with their arcanist or their narset just wins the game and there's not really much you can do to recover from it yeah so. that gets it that gets to a point i'll have to make was like sometimes it's not fun to play a deck that's like super good and super on rails in that way and this deck um, counting 4 8 12 16 17 18 you got 18 lands plus a few other mana sources like you're not just doing the xerox thing and hoping to find your mentor first you know you've got some right in fact, I don't think you have a single restricted win condition. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends. You know, depending on the game plan, Ancestral can be a win condition. But. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Uh, but no, like no mentor and no like um, you know time vault, you know bulk key or something like that. This is a, this is a pretty fair deck by vintage yep. standards and gives you a lot of opportunities to, you know, outplay sort of as it were. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, the other problem with Jeskai is that it has a really bad. I wouldn't I wouldn't say really bad, but it's definitely not favored against shops. And I usually build my lists way more tuned to beat shops than the average like blue white red decks are and at best i get like 50 percent against them mm-hmm. and shops is you know it's just always the best deck so if you got a bad shops matchup that's really hard to bring that to the table and expect to do well and they're typically not great against dredge either especially playing dread horde arcanist you don't get to play like the good dredge hate cards like you don't get to play like rest in peace and graph diggers cage like you're pretty <laughs> you know you're pretty narrowed into into what tools you have to fight that matchup so Bug has much better shops and dredge matchup, and then the issue was just to be able to tune Bug to beat the blue eye red decks. Yeah. yeah, I um, I guess I'm looking. I don't see an, an abrupt decay. You weren't worried about your removal spells being countered. I guess that would have been where I would have gone. But why Assassin's Trophy instead of abrupt decay? It's just infinitely better against the rest of the field. Being able to destroy lands is huge. That's true. I could see that. In fact, I was going to ask how you felt your matchups were against the various fast bond decks, or if you just didn't think they were enough of the meta to really be worth considering. I haven't dropped a game to a fast bond deck um, in a while. I tested with my teammate Nick Dijon because he was thinking about playing fast bond deck at champs, and uh, I don't know how many how many games it was, but I I think he took one game where I mulliganed four. And then I won like the other thirty something. Like it, it just wasn't even wasn't even close. Like I, I assume that that deck has a good shops and dredge matchup, but I, I don't see how it could ever beat a blue deck. I, I got crushed by it with white Eldrazi, so I guess that's sort of shops adjacent. So <laughs> yeah, um, guys, jump yeah. in. I mean, that's sort of what I noticed uh, with with the uh, fast bond deck is they sort of have one plan and if your opponent isn't playing uh counter magic you can kind of make that thing happen uh and if they are you're kind of just dead to them um <laughs> as long as they can stop a fast bond from hitting play or you know trade routes or what you know whatever however they're trying to get their combo off it's kind of easy to see what they're doing and save your counter spells for that yeah i mean i was even boarding out almost all my counter spells in that matchup just going for more, uh, uh, I, I assume you're probably bringing in, what, Force of Vigor and other uh, Trophy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely Force of it. Vigor, Trophy. Depending on the type of Fast Bond build, I was bringing in, like, Ravenous Traps if they were on the, like, the Life from the Loam, Sphere, Crucible yeah. builds. I was bringing in Ravenous Trap and Yixla Jailers as well. Leovold has to be pretty funny against the... Uh... Against the fast bond decks that are killing you with Hadron Crab or uh, Retreat to Hagra, like yeah. I'll just draw and like see if it's the disenchant to stop your combo in the middle of it. Yeah, no, funny enough, I was last week before champs. I was playing a league on uh, online, and a guy started doing his thing with Hedron Crab, and I had a Leovold and a two Death Rates in play, and uh, I drew a card off of the Leovold trigger. And then I counted the cards. I looked at how many cards were in my deck, and I figured that he couldn't actually kill me before he ran out of life points uh, to continue replaying his Obora with the fast bond in play. Mm-hmm. So I just let him keep doing his thing, and yeah. he got down to like two life, and he's conceded, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I went, yeah. He was just trying to see if you you knew that too, probably. <laughs> I think it was trying to hope that I messed up. If I had drawn another card off Leovold, then oh, he could have got. Well, yeah. I, I would have had to have drawn two more cards off Leovold because I could have killed him with Deathrite Shaman in my upkeep if he went down to one life. So I wouldn't have needed to have any cards in my library. Ah. So he needed to stay above four life because I had two active death rights. Dude, the the best victories are the ones where your opponents play into onboard tricks. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I noticed you have an Oko here. Uh, how how did Oko work out for you in Vintage? It was okay. <laughs> it was a last minute addition. Um, I know that there's apparently been a bunch of hype about it online because. You know, I won one. I won my top eight match by attacking with a an Alpha Black Lotus Elk, um, but uh, it was okay. You know, it originally was a Liliana the Last Hope in the main deck, which is uh, really the best card that I can have in my colors against Xerox. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to Dave Kaplan the night before the main event, and and you know he convinced me to play Oko, so I I cut the main deck Liliana for a main deck Oko. Uh, the biggest selling point to me was that it was blue and green, which it's playing a bug deck. It's really difficult to play enough blue cards to have your force of wills consistent because like the good cards that you want to play aren't really blue. They're like black and green. Yeah. And then, you know, now with force of vigor out, it's really a, a difficult balance trying to maintain enough blue and green count. So blue is... You know, it's an asset, but in in a huge part of the vintage metagame, it's really a liability. With Pyrobus yeah, being so so popular, right? Because you you've chosen to go to play a full four wastelands and not play preordain. You know, to yeah, that in. I'm a three wastelands and a strip mine, but um, yeah, sorry, four wasteland effects. Yeah. Um, if uh, if the mirror becomes more more prevalent, which I would expect it to after this win. Um, Usually want to go up to the fourth wasteland and probably a basic forest. Those are the best cards in the mirror. Uh, how about Brazen Borrower? That's another card from the new set that you played. Yeah, it's it's pretty solid. It's really good against shops. Um, I I wanted to have a main deck answer to Blightsteel Colossus and Marit Lage, but I found out that my opponents were never able to make a Marit Lage against me anyway. Like it's just it hasn't come up yet where they were actually able to put it together and make the Marit Lage. So, uh, but it has come up where it's uh, my opponent's tinkered out a Colossus or a Citadel, and you could just bounce it. Um, it's also pretty nice complementing your wasteland package. Like a lot of openers, you'll have you'll have a land and a Deathrite Shaman, and then you know, like let's say you're against Shops and you just go land Deathrite, and they go like Workshop Inspector. Now you can borrow their Inspector and wasteland their Shop, and they're pretty far behind. Um, yeah, and then a third land drop will give you the uh, will give you the um, the creature that they usually don't have any flyers to block unless you kill a hanger backwalker. So yeah, take it right in. That's, yeah, that's and really it snipes good. in and kills a narset too. I like I like having the two flash flyers to snipe in and kill a narset if it's really an issue. Um, it ha- it hasn't been much of an issue because there's not that many cards on my in my deck that say draw a card on them. There's like. Sylvan Library and like restricted spells, and then like my Leovold triggers if they if they play them properly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I was wondering Blightsteel Colossus and and Citadel. Uh, I almost wonder if this if Brazen Borrow is probably a better vintage card than Legacy. 
uh, because it's been played in Legacy and it's not terrible by any means, but those are really big all-in plays that you see fairly commonly in Vintage, and to be able to just uh, have that main deck bounce, I think it's one of those inter- it's one of those interesting things where you know have that main deck bounce and then all of a sudden you're closing the game out is really good. In fact, against a, a Citadel, if you play your cards right, you can have them pay a bunch of life for some meaningless stuff and then uh, and then just bounce it and then maybe yeah. clean them up the next turn. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure which uh, format it's better in. It is really good in Legacy too. Like having main deck answers to Merit Lage and Chalice of the Void are, is like a huge upgrade for all the Delver decks. That's true. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about the the um, tournament itself. Uh, if if you uh, can, let's let's actually just go straight to the top eight. So what did you play in the first round of the top eight? Uh, so I played against Jody Keith, and I actually got to give him props because uh, I I went into the top eight proposing a split, um, and you know I don't I don't know how well you guys know me, but I don't ever split at all. So the the split that I wanted to offer was winner take all, and uh, I did. The judge told me I wasn't allowed to offer it myself, but but she offered it. And Jody was the only person that was in for it. Everybody else was opposed to it. So I gotta give him, <laughs> gotta give him some props for that. Um, you know, and it's it's a pretty favorable matchup for me. Uh, I'm like, I'm solidly favored against Ravager Shops, and his list wasn't really as good against my deck as Ravager Shops is, just because the way that Ravager Shops can beat me is by getting underneath of me, and they board out their spheres and board in as many threats as they have and dismembers and stuff, and mm-hmm. his deck just didn't have that flexibility to be able to take out his spheres, which is just so easy for a bug deck to capitalize on. Like, if, if the Shops deck leaves in their spheres, it's your whole game plan. You just lock them under their own spheres, and it works 90% of the time. And, I mean, that is what happened right like uh two out of the three games he just was not able to cast any of his spells you're just able to collect or off them out of the game and then and then waste waste lock them yeah well the, the trophies go a really long way too oh, like yeah. you just start pointing your trophies at their lands and they don't have any basics and collect the roof shutting off their mocks in and then you have uh energy flux which is just like oh the, yeah the lights out blow yeah <laughs> wow yeah, like my, like, I think uh, my game three against him, like I wastelanded two of his lands and trophied two of his lands, and he just never cast another spell. Yeah, that's a real beating for them, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to become more and more hot on trophy after after hearing you talk about it. Uh, I didn't even think about how how good it is against a you know a entire field of people not playing basic lands. Zach, sounds like you're in the market to play sinkhole. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's this really is an instant speed sinkhole, though, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, being is. able to destroy um, Bazaar Baghdad and Ancient Tomb are like really, really big. Like usually against shops post board, you're just going after their Ancient Tombs uh, and sometimes their factories because mm-hmm. their workshops can't pay for my Tabernacle or my Energy Fluxes. Oh yeah. Yeah, I gotta look at my. I, I usually play black green depths and vintage, and now I gotta look and see what my broke decay assassins trophy split was, because I bet that is probably better. Doesn't seem like there's as much protect the queen and vintage as there is in legacy. So yeah, um, well, abrupt decays are basically completely dead against dredge, 
where Assassin's Trophy is like an A, an A, maybe an A minus in that matchup. Like you get to blow up their bazaars or their hollow ones. It's just like everything that, everything that like their deck revolves around is answered by Assassin's Trophy. So you were able to take out uh, shops, and then you go on to uh, the semis, and you uh, go up against friend of the cast, uh, new friend of the cast, uh, Brian Hockey. Yeah, yeah, real nice guy. He was on Rug PO, and it was funny. I was talking to him the day before the top eight, and I was telling him that Rug Walker's deck is kind of scary. I felt like it was uh, one of my worst matchups in the top eight. And and he thought that he had a really good bug matchup, you know. So I didn't like push the issue, you know. I was just like, all right, you know. And but but my but my PO matchup is quite favorable. The rug PO deck is certainly better against me than the uh, the Asper PO decks, but uh, it's still quite favorable. Why is that? You got Collector, Force of Vigor, Leovold, Narset, all the soft permission. Like Flusterstorm is just so much better against them than Pyroblast is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, our I don't know how many people play Bug locally <laughs> against Brian. I wonder uh, I wonder if anyone even has you know recently um, because the Rug version is is a different iteration and this Bug version is a different iteration of the Bug deck that was out before. So yeah, my board plan is a little differently for the Rug one than it is for the Esper because you want you want to have all four of your trophies against them. You know they have like their Okos and their Hydras and stuff. So. Usually against Asper, you really only want like two trophies just to clip like a defense grid and stuff. But yeah. um, you know, but I once he looked in my list, he was like, "Oh man, you don't want to lose to PO." You know? <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was. I think game one was kind of a blowout, and then game two was. I think it was also a blowout, but it was pretty close. Like there was a close decision point that I had to make, um, which. I had like a collector oof and a deathrite shaman in play, and he had found a wheel of fortune off of his narset, and I had the the opportunity to either kill the narset or just to attack face, and knowing about the wheel in his hand, and I had a wasteland for his one volcanic island, and his mox ruby was in play and turned off from the collector oof, and I decided that I'm just going to go face, because it didn't necessarily take a turn off the clock, but it would have taken a turn off the clock if he found an oko or a lightning bolt, and Lightning Bolt was his, his... He only has one copy of it in his main deck, and it was his only answer to the Collector Oof um, that was mana efficient. Like, he would have... If he if he played Oko, then he wouldn't have been able to do anything else. Like, if he played Oko and turned the Oof into it, then, you know, he's kind of kind of boned. But, um... So I just attacked face, and then figure, you know, screw it, he's going to cast the wheel, and I'm just going to discard my hand and draw a card. And... You know, I committed like another Tarmoglyph and stuff to the board to make it a two-turn clock, and uh, it worked out. You know, because I wasted. He would have had to have found his second volcanic or a fetch land to get it, and the lightning bolt to get out of it, which I thought was super narrow. Yeah, so, it's like two specific cards. It's uh, yeah, I think that's a good call. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh, the wheel. It was funny because like. That was my wheel, and then like his first round in his, his his quarterfinal match, he had like the most insane wheel, and yeah. then like I was watching the wheel against you, and it was just like it was terrible. It was something like like a bunch of lands and artifacts and like a preordain or something, so sure. he didn't find any much of anything. But yeah, I was like, oh man, it let you down the second time. 
<laughs> so what was the finals? So the finals was the, the what I anticipated to be the toughest matchup against Boston. Um, really good player. I was super impressed with his play all weekend. You know, really good sport about everything. Um, and he was playing blue, white, red, Xerox. You know, and that's a pretty pretty close matchup. I think card for card, they're probably like a percentage or two point favorite. But I have a lot of experience with the matchup, and I have a Liliana on my sideboard, which is just lights out if it resolves. And uh, but it's difficult for a bug deck to come back from behind. Like once the Xerox deck starts doing their little snowball effect, where you know they preordain into preordain into gush into treasure cruise and stuff. Like you can't, you have to stop that from happening. You know, you can't recover from it once it happens. You know, yeah, you I mean, occasionally to... you can, but it's pretty rare. You just have to keep Arcanist off of the board, right? Well, it depends. I mean, so like Liliana keeps it in check. A lot of times, um, as long as you like have an active death ray and a counter spell for the removal spell, then like you can counter it on the way down and then eat it so they don't get the trigger to resolve. And you know, but the the harder card to deal with really is Young Pyromancer. Um, like that, that go wide makes you make a bunch of tokens. It's just like it really laughs at Tarmograve, you know? Yeah, and you uh, minus looks like Toxic Deluge and Tabernacle. You really don't have an answer to that sort of play. Yeah, and I don't like bringing in Tabernacles in that matchup because they usually have between two and three basic lands, and you're like trophying all their stuff. So, yeah. like, it's it's just never really a effective game plan. The Liliana is the best way to go, and you know I have like push and four trophies you know like it's brazen borrower to, to bounce it for a if i need like a just a time walk them you know bounce their their creature get another attack in set them back a turn um you know leovold is really really good in that matchup i feel like leovold is the best card in my deck the best non-restricted card in my deck like it's both green and blue so it pitches to both the forces and it's just it's just a great card in every matchup. I don't. I don't think I ever board it out. Like it's great against shops. It's great against all the blue decks. It's great against dredge. It's great against survival. You know. Yeah, the card's really insane. Like it's a lot of it's a lot of really relevant text. And if yeah. it was easier to get into play, more people would play it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look how many people play Narset, which only has the one line of text. And I guess it gain, got, draws a couple cards, but it doesn't attack. It doesn't block. You know? Right. It doesn't have the trigger. The trigger is so big. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that's where it comes into play against stuff like shops, and uh, I guess Dredge does its own thing, but against shops in particular. Yeah, well, so the reason it's great against shops is it makes them really difficult for them to ballista you, and it's really a losing battle for them to try to wasteland you, because you're just drawing a card off of every time. Like, if they want to ballista down a Leovold, that's, you're drawing three, three cards, cards off yeah, of that. Wow. That's an ancestral. To trade them for a creature, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a 3-3. Like, a 3-3 is pretty big when they have a bunch of Phyrexian Revokers and Mistress Factories, you know? Yeah. Um, and then uh, against Dredge, it makes their Bazaars a lot less effective, and then their Cabal Therapies and their Force of Vigors or whatever. You know, if they're playing Mana Dredge, they'll have different forms of removal spells, but the premier Dredge deck right now is the Manalist one with, uh, with a bunch of pitch spells, and all of their pitch spells target you or permanents you control. So... Yeah. I actually had a nice play with the Leovold where I was able to... My opponent 
lightning bolted my Leovold, and I had a Tarmogoyf in play. So I drew a card off the trigger, and then I misdirected the lightning bolt to my Tarmogoyf, <laughs> triggering the Leovold an additional time because it nice. now created a new target. <laughs> yeah, Leovold's a, Leovold's a messed-up card. The way that it interacts against Oath of Druids is insane. Like, their Forbidden Archers not only give you a creature, but le also let you draw a card. And then they have to target you with their Oath Trigger at the beginning of every one of their upkeeps. Whether or not they resolve the trigger is up to, get, up to them, but no matter what, they always have to target you with the trigger. So if you have a Cage in play or, you know, if you have a Leave in play, you often just let them Oath. Like, it, like... There's nothing bad that can really happen. You just use their use your trophies on their creatures. Like they can't draw cards. Their Nifmizid has to decide. Oh yeah. Do I want to ping him and let him draw a card, or is you know it's like, so you just kill their creatures and there's nothing they can really do. Yeah. The only tech for that would be Sphinx of the Steel Wind. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. You could brazen borrow that too, right? You can brazen borrow. You gotta, you gotta play the Ink Moth Leviathan. Ink Well Leviathan. Yeah. Yeah. Inkwell yeah. Leviathan. Yeah, I mean, if somebody opens up an Inkwell, you know, and I decided not yeah. to destroy their oath, then you got me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I got I got hit by a Sphinx to Steel Wind in, cool. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the grinder I played. So I was like, oh, man, I really can't beat that one. Yeah. yeah. So so huh. that's the, the vintage tournament. Uh, did you end up playing uh, Old School or Legacy? I played in a Legacy tournament, yeah. But uh, once I picked up my second loss, I dropped. Just get some rest for the uh, top. Yeah, that eight. makes sense. Now, Joe, when I saw you in Atlanta, uh, I said, "How you doing?" You said the wheels really came off at the end. I only went seven one and one. Um, yeah, I started out seven <laughs> zero, and then I got an unintentional draw to a, a really what a joy to play against this guy. I forget his name. He had kind of a southern accent. He was playing four color snow, but really it was just a, a fantastic player and just a, a riot to play with. But we we drew. And uh, and then I lost to Hogak the final day of day one or the final round of day one, and then day two I just lost a bunch of really good matchups and just like drew the wrong half of my deck. And well, you know, what I meant was like, how long did it take you to get two losses in Legacy? <laughs> well, I it, realistically I was five zero because I started out with two buys. So yeah. like you know, saying that I'm seven zero is kind of like stealing a little more credit than I deserve. Oh, with the Grand Prix, like, you mean? Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, also at champs, I had two buys at champs too. Oh, yeah. So you finished. So you probably played like seven rounds of Legacy or so, six, seven rounds. Uh, I got I got my second loss in the seventh round. Yeah. So I paid. I pl actually played five rounds. I went three two. What'd you so play in Legacy? Five, out of curiosity. I played Rug Delver. You know, with some of my own my own tweaks, but. Yeah. Well, it's okay. That's really good, really consistent. Yeah, I mean, I can't complain. I, I'm super happy with how good the deck is. I'm just super nervous with, uh, you know, everybody calling for, for the head of that deck right now. And it's like, I, you know, I went through three years of Grix's Delver being the, the best deck in the format, like, hands down. And now it's like, yep. give me my moment in the sun. Let me just play with my cards for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so that was that was Eternal Weekend, but I I guess since we have you on, uh, have you read the uh, the most recent uh, update from uh, Star City Games? That they're eliminating Legacy from the team events. Yeah, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's. Well, it's more than that. There, there's no more Legacy at the opens. 
that means other than the challenges. So you can play your four-round grinders, but that won't be in the team events, and they won't have an open or classics for it. The uh, reason for that they gave was that they don't want Legacy to feed the Invitational, and that they're expecting, or that they're expecting us, or we should be expecting them to announce increased Legacy support at the SCG cons twice a year. So that's that's the news. Also, this means that it opens the slot up for uh, vintage classics, which is a real delight. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna. They don't want Legacy to yeah. feed the Invitational, but they said they want Vintage to feed it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see that happening. No. Um, yeah, but so uh, I guess I guess what uh, what's your reaction to that? That's that's kind of what where we're at right now. We're we're all kind of still still figuring out uh, you know what that all means to to us individually. Well, obviously it sucks, you know, um, but there's not much that I can do about it. You yeah. know, it's the same thing with vintage. You know, I mean, like the format's really just like. Wizards has just refused to restrict Mister's Workshop for so many years that we've lost 70% of our player base behind it. And, you know, now we're like a skeleton crew of players just trying to get events together. You know, and new players don't want to get involved in the format because they're like, that looks miserable, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're stubborn, so they're not going to do anything about it. I, I haven't really decided how I feel entirely yet about this. Like... It's I don't there was two Star City Legacy Opens last year. There were a couple of classics here and there, and I know there was the team events and everything, but the team events aren't really legacy tournaments. And um you know, the the classics were what they were, but it's really just going from two to zero, or really two to two to a different kind of two, because now we just gotta get to Roanoke. I mean, from my perspective, you know, the, the legacy tournaments were in Syracuse and Worcester last year. I live in Texas. Like, you know, Roanoke, Worcester, whatever, you know. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be a lot of, like, how people perceive this. But, like, I wouldn't I – don't, I don't see a reason to, like, flip out and, and sell your cards or get out of it. I mean, it's not like there's going to be other legacy tournaments that are pretty high quality uh, competition-wise going on in various areas. And maybe you do that instead. Of, yeah, you know, it, it might just be, you know – it might just be up to like a third party to start leading the charge. You know, maybe it's a, uh, maybe like Mike Caffrey or Calvin or, or Nick Koss or something. will get a little deeper into it, you know, and, and do, you know, we used to have the eternal extravaganza series and that stopped a couple years ago, but you know, maybe Caffrey would start that back up or Calvin will start his own thing or, you know, cause it doesn't seem like the mainstream is really interested in, pursuing it you know i don't know if just the profit margins aren't there because they don't get enough support for it or whatever but you know there are guys that are really passionate about it and it might just be that we need to lean you know a little further in that direction i've even considered starting my own vintage tournament series so well Well, you know brian i don't know if he told you when he when he played but like i mean i met brian down here in austin playing vintage like we like there was a community driven event started by my friend Stu and here in austin and you know, they just ran some some proxy vintage, like I ran a circuit and, you know, grew to be able to support it. And then we started talking about like, well, maybe with Star City, you know, sort of exiting legacy opens, maybe we want to start thinking about, you know, trying to get some legacy tournaments that are like destination uh, tournaments here in Austin because it's such a, you know, such a great city. And I think that, you know, what you just said about considering starting your own vintage tournament circuit, like, why not? You know, 
I mean, it's it's a community. It's going to be community driven. Like old school is like that. You know, two hundred players at the yeah. Alex Lodge, still pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Jayco and Eternal Central and stuff basically manage all of old school in the U.S. Right, or or at least the vast majority of it, and uh, that's thriving. So, and and they're not dependent on Wizards at all, or Star City Games or Channel Fireball or you know anything. So I think that uh, it's it's just uh, a testament that it can be done. Yeah, I, I kind of hope that that's what happens. Um, our friends at the Leaving a Legacy podcast, you know, we're talking about they they run about a, they run like quarterly three Ks in Boston. Maybe they yeah. want to do more with that. Maybe they want to expand to a bigger location or make it so that they can attract more people who are going to have travel budgets. I mean, we all travel for these events, yeah. mm-hmm. so it'd be yeah, nice for us to get a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it'd be nice for us to get uh, something going eventually uh, as far as, uh, you know, like an Eternal Dirtles challenge or something like that sometime soon. Sure, you got to have hip-hop side games. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have a break dance. A battle here. rap top eight. Yeah. <laughs> that would be actually be cool. We could, instead, of, instead of doing draws, we could we could do battles. We could do rap battles for draws. No Armageddon clock. Like the old school players flip orbs. Just yeah. instead of doing draws, we could just have have a have a rap battle. Right, um, right. Yeah, it's very. I don't know. It's it, it's a bummer to hear something like that. But even then, this is. I think that it was worse when they went from weekly legacy opens to sparse legacy opens. That was like going from twenty five tournaments a year to three, and this is going yeah. from three to zero. Or three to, to two. I forget about. I keep forgetting about. I'm, I'm forgetting about the SCG cons. You know, like uh, they're still going to be running it. <laughs> also, I think Wizards announced that there's no uh, there's no Legacy Grand Prix for the first quarter next year, right? Like something yeah, up till like April or something. At least through April, there's no Legacy Grand Prix. You know, some of that could be up to what Channel Fireball. They they might want to program Legacy for some reason or another. Um, I mean, they've got Legacy cards they could sell. From what I gathered, um, from you know, sort of the scuttlebutt and reading what Star City had to say is that one, they didn't want Legacy feeding the Invitational when they can have Pioneer as an additional format, and two, like they it wasn't a, it definitely wasn't an attendance issue, but I think it was more like people show up and buy a bunch of cards, and they probably just weren't buying selling as many cards at a at a Legacy Open because people already have them. Um, but yeah, I could be wrong about that. But yeah, that, think... that, that sort of makes sense to me. But they were they were definitely the same size, if not bigger, than any, you know, well, standard. They they had stopped standard opens already, so I guess Legacy was smaller than Modern. Yeah, it's a bummer. I'll I'll, I'll be at the uh, Grand Prix in Bologna in a few weeks, and a couple people that I know that are going are you know expecting that that's going to be the last Grand Prix, the last Legacy Grand Prix altogether. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's you know. Yeah, I texted Cyrus today and said you might be the last uh, U.S. Legacy Grand Prix champion ever. Yeah. But, well, he's coming to Bologna with me too, so maybe he'll win that one. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> They're just going <laughs> to announce a new format called Legoneer, where you get to play <laughs> Legacy without fetches. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, be pretty good. You'd be into that, Phil. Yeah, you like my title for that format? Legoneer. Yeah. I think it, it, you it, call it, it Buccaneer. It's, it's entirely <laughs> created and new, and I didn't pull it from anything. That's that's the uh, that's the illness you get when there's too much mist in the air or something. That's Legionnaire's disease. Never mind. That was a bad <laughs> joke. Um, well, 
Sorry for yeah. killing the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the uh, moral of this podcast is buy your sinkholes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I, I mean I think that that about rounds it. Honestly, uh, you know we got we got to talk about uh, the vintage uh, event. Uh, obviously, uh, you know Joe, Joe coming on is a huge boon to to talk to somebody who who was able to play at such a high level. Um, and then uh, you know we talked a little bit about uh, Star City's uh, announcement today. That's, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna propose one thing that we do before we sign off uh, for the future for the future of vintage tournaments. Hmm. Uh, I think we as a community should come together, get Joe a world championship vintage title belt. <laughs> that he, he, there, there, and there has to be a tournament every quarter where he's got to defend his championship. He's got to defend the title. And he's got to cut a, a promo before the event starts. That sounds great. Clear the crop. <laughs> Uh, I, I think we also need to mention that uh, Matt Hackbert is running a stream on the 16th. Am I wrong on that? You are not wrong on that. Matt and, uh, in fact, my little reminder, Matt's tournament shout-out just came up right now. So our friends in Arizona are running uh, a tournament on the 16th that they'll stream at AZ Eternal Magic. Um, I believe this is the the culmination of their community legacy league, um, but we will... Uh, if not, you know, even if it isn't, it's still going to be great. Um, they get a, a, a lot of people to play Legacy out in the desert. And, again, just, like, they don't have Star City either, everybody. So, you know, they've gotten, I, I think they've, they've, they've hit 16 players at these things before. So, um, in fact, let's check Matt's message well, out. Well, you know, I'm over, in, I'm over in Italy a couple times a year playing Vintage and Legacy, and they don't have Star City or Channel or any, you know, any of that stuff going on over there. They get one Legacy Grand Prix a year, and they, you know, had to take on and, and make their own tournaments. You know, they have the Four Seasons, they have Nebraska's War, they have their own Eternal Weekend that uh, I think, I don't know if Card Market's doing it or if uh, Magic Bazaar is doing it, but, you know, they just kind of, they don't have quite the level of competitive magic available to them as we do and they were able to make do you know i think that it might just be the start of a, a new approach is needed yeah to support I, our I, hobby yeah. i think we i think many of us agree with that especially if you haven't lived in the star city uh circuit area for a while but yeah and like you said like people travel to italy from the u.s so yeah. we can, you know let's let's set our sights high and get people to travel from a different state Sure. It's not that bad. You know, it's like it's like five, six hundred bucks for a round trip plane ticket. You know, you go make a vacation out of it and go to a go to a magic tournament over there. You know, it's broaden your horizons cheap. a little bit. Yeah. Eat well, it's some, funny that you mentioned pasta. that, too, because I was I was like I was looking at the uh, like I was just like reading, you know, stuff and like the Emerald City Trolls, which is the Seattle old school group, is going to have all these old school events the weekend of the Magic Fest in Seattle. And like I bet if I just went, wanted to play in one of them like i could take my family to seattle like they would have a ton of fun like on the right. one day i'm not there and then the days I, I and then the other two days i just do something with them you know like it's better to do that than you know going to some city like i mean you, you go to whatever city but it's always a convention center in the middle of nowhere or something like that you know like you Are could you actually cheating on some... the king of prussia nate <laughs> <laughs> king of prussia is awesome it's got a wegmans but like uh you know, Niagara Falls, like, I guess it was raining. That would be a tourist spot otherwise, but uh, still. And also not a two-day tournament, so you don't have to plan for being there two days. Like, something where it's just, like, a one-day, you know, 3K or whatever, and then the other day you hang out. 
in the cool city where it is. If it's Seattle or, you know, Milwaukee, because I know they do a bunch up there. Um, Boston, in the case of the Living Legacy Tournament, or Phoenix, in the case of, of Matt's tournament. So, yeah. Anyway, he just said this tournament stream is happening on the 16th. I'm looking to make sure we have the right. Uh, I guess before we uh, we we sign off with you, uh, Joe, the uh, I have one more question, uh, and sure. this pertains to our last our uh, the end of our last cast. What's your favorite flavor text? Oh, that's a tough call. Um, I hate to be so standard and just say no, Rod, you know, because I feel like that's <laughs> the most common answer you get. It does nothing, right? Yeah. It's um, really good flavor text, though. So yeah, it's it is good flavor text. It holds the mantle for the reason. I don't know. I I would go with no, Rod, but I I bet you I'm one of a million. Yeah. <laughs> mine is mine is curfew. But I'm yeah, not tired. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Phil, did you have one? Uh, I had a couple of different ones. The one that I thought of after last cast what, that I that I like a lot because I remember when it was spoiled and everybody lost their shit, and I was just like, oh, I kind of like the flavor text, was uh, time is a marvelous plaything uh, on temporal, the, the miracle time walk. Oh, temporal mastery. Oh, temporal, temporal mastery, mastery yeah. yeah. Time as a marvel, marvelous plaything is. I, I I liked that flavor text. I thought it was like whimsical. <laughs> All right. I've got a stack of, of revised comments on my desk here. Got prodigal <laughs> sorcerer, occasionally a member of the Institute of Arcane Study, acquires a taste for worldly pleasures. That one's really awkward in, in hindsight. Um, and let's see. These are all from Coleridge. Oh, sea serpent. Legend has it that serpents used to be bigger, but how could it be? <laughs> Some, it's all hit or miss, right? So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that does it for this week. Uh, you can, uh, if if you're looking to support the cast, you can sign on to uh, Patreon.com/EternalDirtles uh, and support us there. Also, if you're listening to this on Anchor, there's a button on Anchor where you can just directly give uh, to the podcast to help us uh, continue making casts and uh, Yo, support it all because I would love to reach the point where. I can put aside enough time to record y'all a full album. An album. If we get up to three hundred dollars a, a month, I think Phil has to put an album out an album every I couple of weeks. Put an album out. <laughs> it's gonna be dope. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's it for us. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep. And that'll do it for Thanks, us. Sir. Have a good weekend, everybody. Take it easy. Monster. Can you see any monster? But that would go Keep it up with the Joneses Stop, stop, any monster Can you see any monster? But that would go Keep it up with the Joneses Keep it up with the Joneses Keep it up with the Joneses Alright Where does he get those wonderful toys? <laughs> <laughs>